0: Coming to you from downtown Detroit, taped in front of a live audience at the Industrial Designer Society of America Conference, our esteemed panel discusses design as a change agent. Coming up next on AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy.
1: I want to welcome you all here to Autoline this week. We've got a very special design discussion going on at the Industrial Design Society of America holding its international conference in Detroit. We're going to be talking about design as a change agent. Definitely in automotive, but taking it beyond that as well. And I've got three terrific panelists here to join me in this discussion today. Sitting right here next to me is Amco Leenarts. He's the director of interior design for the Ford Motor Company. Next to him is Kevin Kerrigan. He's a Senior Vice President of the Automotive Office for the State of Michigan, but Kevin also assures me that he was trained as a designer. <laughs> and finally, we also have Mark Ruther. He's the Chief Curator at the Henry Ford Museum. I wanna thank all three of you for jo- uh, joining us here for this discussion today. I'm Amco, whatever, I throw it out to you, but we'll get the others' in- uh, input on this as well. Design as a change agent. Can that really be true? And if so, how?
2: Uh, there's a lot going on uh, in, uh, in the world uh, of car uh, design. But it's, it's got to do with all the context changes that are going on. We've been operating uh, vehicles for 120 years. Um, and exactly that, that paradigm is about to change. Um, we have a new, uh, so that's the autonomous driving part. We have um, um, obviously that. Other factor, which are the new generations, is really bringing up a new um, uh, light uh, on on brand loyalty, on how they want to um, lead their life. And Gen Zers are really looking for uh, a different type of experience uh, uh, than what the current, uh, let's say, the boomers do. Uh, And that's really changing uh, the way that we do business. Mark, you've got a
1: especially historic perspective, being the chief curator at the Henry Ford Museum.
0: I think design, the design field is, is fund- fundamentally about change. If, if you think of industrial designers in particular, working at this intersection of uh, newly developed materials, manufacturing processes, better understanding of consumers, consumer needs and their feedback. Um, Frankly, it's all about change, and it's the designer's role to help mediate and work that through. I I guess I'd I'd go one step further and say, frankly, if you're not interested in change or being at the center of it, you probably shouldn't be a designer. I mean, it literally is about mediating uh, massive amounts of change in a variety of spheres and making it work together. Kevin, I'm intrigued that here you are
1: officially uh, an official for the state of Michigan. Why are you part of this panel and why is the state of Michigan putting so much emphasis on design going to the point of having created a Michigan Design Council?
3: Well, I believe that design is the cornerstone of everything that that really happens in the industry. It's where it all begins. Uh, Industrial design is where art and engineering collide and um, as and my colleagues here have mentioned the industry right now is going through just an enormous change in, in every single area of the vehicle, whether it's material materials or propulsion systems or in the you know the whole new area of, you know, connected, automated and autonomous vehicles. So design is is so critical to all of those elements and, and, and we, we believe it's one of the greatest assets that we have in the, in the state of Michigan. Amco, you brought it
1: up this whole move to mobility services car sharing ride sharing ultimately autonomous cars that must have an enormous impact as to how you approach a project from a design standpoint
2: yeah we are definitely approaching it uh, very different um, again it starts a lot with the customer uh, we looking a lot looking a lot we are observing a lot uh, to uh, research um, uh, what's going on but also doing a lot of uh, futuring and and um, um, uh, try to get to get into people's dreams. Uh, what are they really looking for in the future? And uh, if you look for, um, if you if you look at the again at the Gen Z uh, uh, group, um, their life is all around the timeline. They've they they have a different uh, perspective of 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 how the day goes and. Um, Uh, If it's through how you do social media, or um, uh, what you put out there, um, and the car can really play a different role in that. Um, So we're looking at that. um, I think on autonomous driving in general, there's a lot of emphasis on is the technology going to make it happen, right? Um, And that's the biggest challenge in the first place. But I think um, the second place is really uh, what's the psychology behind it once that's going on, and, and uh, you know it's just very amusing to, to hear all the stories about uh, the autonomous prototypes driving around in uh, in, uh, in the in the Bay Area and the other cars trying to annoy them, and you know <laughs> it, it, it's uh, it's it,
1: these are all really cool and real uh, things that happen. Mark, I saw you nodding, especially when Amco mentioned the psychology that goes into this. It's Uh,
0: interesting because, again, from a historical perspective, we, we do seem to be at a point now where that notion of autonomy is quite, how to put it, extreme. If you actually think of the automotive experience over the last 50 years, we've delegated huge amounts of what had previously been human effort, driving a car, whether it's power steering or whether you press a button for a fan, whether there's a delay, whether you actually actuate that. So I am fascinated by the degree to which, over time, we have been sort of gradually sort of spalling off things that you know, the earliest drivers would have thought was absolutely what you had to do to be driving. I mean, I'd still hear that in England. It's, I don't want an automatic car, it's not driving. It's like, well, so, I mean, that's fascinating to me. We are at a point now where it's gonna become way more evident, but there's actually been an awful lot over time. Even the, frankly, even a horse-drawn carriage or a bicycle, that is a level of autonomy that it would give you as a user that had never been around before. So that historical perspective, I think, is kind of useful. It's going to be, it is, it's going to be hard for people behind, not behind the wheel of a car, but in a car, letting it do its own thing, so to speak.
1: And Kevin, you must be looking at this from the impact that it could have on the state, and certainly other states are looking at it, and it's more than just states, it's countries that are looking on at uh, this whole move to autonomy and mobility services.
3: Yeah, we're looking at um, a lot of the different uh, potential impacts on urban design and urban planning. Uh, this, this area that we're in right now is is sort of sub-autonomy, uh, and I don't think anybody can truly say when we, we fully cross that line to, to, to brain off. But once we do and you're not needed in a vehicle, the whole design aspect of a vehicle will change. You don't need an instrument panel, you don't need pedal boxes. So that's what interests me. But on the, on, the, on the city design, we don't need traffic lights, we don't need lane markings. What does it mean to the future of the, the, the towns and cities of Michigan? I, I don't think a lot of people have
1: thought about that. Explain a little bit more what you mean by we don't need traffic lights in an autonomous
3: world. Well, if the vehicles are communi- communicating vehicle, vehicle to vehicle, vehicle to infrastructure, uh, there comes a point where you don't need to be told from a, a light that turns green, yellow, or, or red, you get a signal to say, stop, there's a car coming this way. So uh, now we're talking out a long way, but ultimately we need to think about that and pull back and, and start looking at, you know, what are we investing in in towns and cities? Do we need as many lanes? Do we need as many parking structures? So there's, it, it's a total disruption to the whole industry. Amco, you
1: are a car designer, but <laughs> this has got to be awfully exciting too about maybe, Redesigning city and rural landscapes for a new kind of mobility yes, it is,
2: <laughs> no, there is a, there, you know we are investing heavily as a company uh, into it, as we have announced last week, uh, and we 're working on uh, with, with uh, you guys on MCD and you know to try, try to experiment really around all of that, and it frankly it 's a lot of experimentation and a lot of learning and uh, uh, it's, it's how you turn those learnings into a uh, meaningful experience for the customer. That, that, that's what,
1: where we come in the most. Mark, what are your thoughts on this? Because, you know, as the chief curator at the Henry Ford Museum, if you look back 100 years, 120 years actually, the automobile changed the landscape of the world. Mm-hmm. We have parking lots and garages and super highways and all kinds of infrastructure devoted to the automobile. Have you given any thoughts as to where, from a design standpoint, this change may lead?
0: Well, I think I've thought about it in a number of ways. I know there's an awful lot of concern, right, rightfully, about the degree to which we could be sprawling well beyond suburbia. Once you can extend your everyday into the car, I mean, this is going to sound farcical, but you know, what if you could get in your car and your bathrobe and shower in there and get dressed on the way to work? Right? Um, that sounds kind of insane, but I've seen enough people doing the makeup behind the wheel of a car at sixty miles an hour with with a wheel. So that's a reflection of something we're already trying to do in vehicles, which is extend the sort of domestic everyday life into a period where we're actually transitioning from home to work. So I'm actually quite fascinated. I think not to sort of diminish the impact of autonomy on on the sort of automotive sphere and the city landscape. I'm fascinated by the ramifications that will have on how people simply live their lives, where they're going to live it, and what their expectations are regarding what they can do when they're in theory doing something else you know it's it's very easy to look at sort of getting up leaving the house locking the door getting in the car going to work parking that's all very partitioned off i'm fascinated by the degree to which those things are going to start segueing together so it's it's a much bigger design question in my mind it's going to get provoked i think by these developments but like a lot of things there's going to be these interesting unintended consequences i'm, I'm not going to get in this old saying right that predictions are kind of dangerous, especially about the future, right? But typically curators don't like to get into that, but if you look at human inclination in terms of you know, trying to do more than one thing at a time, trying to get more out of your life, more quality out of your life, this is gonna have huge ramifications, because suddenly things are simply not so compartmentalized.
1: Amco, um, how do you think we're going to make that transition As you know, some of us, like myself, are very excited about these changes. Other people want nothing to do with it whatsoever. (laughs) I've got to imagine, as a car designer, you're already running into that, where we're bringing so much technology into the car. It, in some cases, is very complicated for older people, boomers, let's say. Millennials have got to have it. They want it right now. How do you approach that from a design standpoint, as a designer, of, of having two very different customer mindsets, if you will. Um,
2: we deal with a lot of different customer mindsets anyway, right? We are going from trucks to cars to, uh, long, uh, to luxury to, to the Lincoln brand. So I think we, we, we have that um, figured out. Um, we're looking at it the mo- in, in, in the way of single use and dual use uh, autonomous driving. And those are very different business models, very different um, experiences. Um, like I stated before, um, if you start looking at uh, that a customer doesn 't have to pay twenty four thousand dollars for a car, uh, but you take the three zeros away and you could do twenty four cents a minute, yeah. what would you want and That is a very very different uh, different question to uh, to answer than uh, the The kind of old-fashioned idea of I'm going to own, I'm going to put money aside, or you know, uh, uh, to to finally buy buy that car. No, now we can do 24 cents per minute, and uh, I might change uh, the brand every day. Um, um, There are so privately owned or uh, publicly owned. um, um, I, I think that's a really big difference as as well, and. Uh, We are gearing up with our marketing uh, uh, folks a lot to uh, uh, figure those things out. We're working a lot with psychologists to figure out uh, part of it, and
1: um, it's it's super exciting. It's very exciting, but Kevin, this is also potentially a threat to the the traditional automotive industry in Michigan and elsewhere. How does the state think about this that's coming in, and what impact there might be?
3: Well, uh, I think we think about it less as a threat and, and op- more of an opportunity. Um, this is why we're investing in um, in areas like M-City and the new American Center for Mobility. Uh, we want to see the testing, the validation, and the certification of these vehicles here in Michigan. Um, Mich- Michigan has a... Uh, um, you know, more industrial designers than in any other state
1: of the. Now, now say that again, because I don't think anybody's going to believe that. You're you're not talking on a per capita basis.
3: This is in total numbers. We total numbers, more industrial designers. More industrial here. designers in the state of Michigan than any other state of the United States. And and interestingly enough, we have the highest cluster of. Uh, engineers um, than anywhere else. We have about 65,000 engineers in the state. So it's in our interest to to, to work on these problems of new autonomy and and create new solutions. And I look at it as just a huge opportunity for the state, just just things that we can keep moving on. And maybe for our, our
1: audience, too, out there in television landmark, we need to distinguish what do you mean by industrial design? Versus, say, styling a car. What's the real difference there? Because when I think, and I think the general public hears industrial design, We think designing factories or things like that.
0: Yeah, Um, and when people think of design, they think of the pretty thing at the end of a long process. So for me, the industrial design, the whole, I mean, I'm sitting in front of people who know this way better than I do. I'm a kind of outsider. It is about this convergence of uh, opportunities from the standpoint of markets. It's about addressing needs. It's about looking at available materials and newly newly developed materials and new uh, production techniques. It's about being at that hub, if you will, between all those things which, in fact, could be conflicting. It's... I think it was um, Stephen Bailey who uh, got into that notion that you know Voltaire had uh, defined art as mankind's attempt to improve upon uh, nature. Industrial design is mankind's attempt to improve upon industry. It's about using the resources, capabilities, approaches that came about because of the industrial revolution and, and directing that in a way that serves consumers and serves mankind, frankly.
1: Amko, care to add to that? What, what's your industrial, vision of what industrial design is?
2: Industrial design is real in the sense of that um, of, obviously the shape has to be as desirable as we can make it. But it only becomes desirable if you can make it. And <laughs> you've got to be able to make it in a way that uh, you can pop out uh 70,000 trucks a month. Right. You can only do and 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 that makes the industrial designer in the sense of that they know what the what the what the manufacturing limitations are. Um the whole day we are debating about 0.1 or 2 mil. We're talking about cents literally because we have a very low margin. People don't realize we have a very low margin to in the whole uh, uh business. So we we, we, that, that, as a whole, makes it, as an industrial design uh, 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 profession, extremely difficult.
0: And I, th- I think that's important. It's a bit of that Eames notion of the most to the best for the least, right? It is, quantity is part of it. That is part Absolutely. of the promise of the Industrial Revolution, that it's no longer bespoke. Necessarily, highly crafted and expensive thing that you create. It's about driving that down so that you can still maintain the quality, still address needs, but make it available for the most people for the least amount of money. Frankly, exactly. And yeah, then the sheer beautiful.
2: complication that comes with it. Um, I think you know, Murray talked about that in his uh, speech. You know, uh, in the interior only, we're handling you know about 500 parts every time, um, and those need to be are all objects that need to be uh, designed costed, manufacturable, working with a ton of suppliers, getting that all. I find it always a miracle how that all, in the end, comes (laughs) down to one one object and yeah, yeah. does things well with quality and gives the right guarantee to the customer that they bought a really solid product.
0: And now that gets back, I think, partly to the industrial design heritage of Detroit. You know, the, everything that was accomplished at Highland Park in that regard with the Model T, that was about the convergence of huge numbers of parts orchestrated into a single yeah. mechanism which was the plant. So this you know, is back to Michigan's role. We've, uh, we've played an immense sort of part, if you will, in the refinements and delivering the promise. Uh, of, of, uh, of the Industrial Revolution so that it can be replicated actually globally. Kevin, you were going to add to that?
3: Well, my, my sort of view of industrial design is, uh, I think I said before, art meeting engineering, but it's more than that. It's, it's really like the Hadron Collider. You've got two particles that hit each other and off comes particles we've never heard of before, like beauty and magic. And I see when art and engineering coming together and some things that come out of it that, that no one's ever thought of. And, the, and it, it's the highest level of communication that there is in the industry. It is. In fact,
1: uh, what others have told me in the past is design is what really creates desire. And if somebody doesn't even look at what you've created, how can they know that they even want it? So it's design that gets
3: them to look. What's also interesting, though, is so for a lot of artists, we don't realize how good they were till like, they're dead. And we see what they've done. Thanks. It's do, you <laughs> do you want me to go? Your, your, your best days are right yeah. ahead of you, All yeah. oh, right, okay, thanks. But what's interesting <laughs> to me, we do this in the auto industry as well, because if you go on to Woodward today, you'll find right. beautiful cars from years ago that we now celebrate when in their heyday they weren't even looked at. You know, but we now recognize that is, that's just not a, just a car, that's a piece of artwork.
0: Okay, that partly gets to the practicality design, though, doesn't it? I mean, that's part of the curse of the industrial designer. The the, the, the most perfectly, beautifully designed objects almost appear inevitable. They they if they're popular, if they're if they if they're bought into, they address a need, and that becomes a kind of baseline. It typically is the having the context provided by time, where you can look at something yeah. and say, actually, holy cow, that really nailed it, you know. And yeah, so that's uh, it's like it's like good graphic design. It's uh, it should be barely visible, it should just be communicating what you're trying to communicate, not making a big case for itself, so yeah, it's, it's a paradox.
1: Yeah, it's obvious. It seems to me that the, the challenge for industrial designers is growing right now, because every time I turn around, I'm, I'm meeting somebody with a new business card, or a new title on their business card, UX, user experience. Explain, Amco, from your uh, vantage point. What do we mean that by that and how do you incorporate it or, or do you even think about the user experience as you approach design?
2: Way overrated. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, UX is uh, integrated in the life of an industrial de- designer. It, it, it's how you use it, when you use it, um, uh, the fact that we have an emphasis at the moment on that. that is becomes a, becomes more of a buzzword. I think, I think it's just a a, a, a more deepening um, focus on how to deliver the things that I was talking about. So, user experience is obviously integrated in the new business models and in the way that you um, um, you handle uh, um, an experience within the car or the way or throughout the life of of, the, of your of the uh, ownership, right? Okay. So it depends on if it's only a couple of minutes or if it's a couple of years. Um, so UX is integrated in all we do. And um, at, at, uh, at Ford, we definitely have, uh, have that uh, figured out. So that, that, that's a cool, uh, cool thing
3: to uh, have the emphasis on. OK, Kevin. User experience, overrated or no? No, I think it, it's uh, integral to the whole the whole universe of industrial design but the, the thing that sprung to mind when you mentioned the new cards with the new names is uh, yeah, we are creating new uh, areas and new, new job descriptions if you like but we have got to as a group focus on the other end to get more people into this area it, it's an exploding uh, area and it's something that, that is so, so much fun that, that we want to get this out to the young kids and say this is an industry you could be part of how do you do that we have to do that with things like the Michigan Design Council. We put a, a group together, which is a collective group of some of the senior designers in the state of Michigan. And we're out promoting uh, industrial design. We have a new Michigan Design Prize, which will be awarded this September. And it's really um, it's boots on the ground, going out talking to kids, and, and, and trying to drive the message home that there's a lot of great things to do in this state. Mark, any thoughts about that? How do you entice a new generation
1: into industrial design?
0: Oh, it's a good question. I mean, because people are, how to put it, they're conversant with and using more and more devices earlier and earlier in their lives. So I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting just to see how it can be integrated uh, into educational programs, in my mind. Sort of. Uh, I guess I grew up in an educational environment where there was this very strict sense, if you will, of the sort of sciences, humanities, and then then there was art off on the side. And I've often wondered, it would have been interesting if there had been the ability to understand that that artistic inclination could be more, let's say, for want of a better term perhaps, more commercially directed, more sort of economically uh, directed. So I think um, we've touched on this already, sort of understanding uh, the design arena as this fantastic convergence place between people who've got that kind of right brain, left brain approach, sort of very kind of humanities, more synthetic imaginative approach with this sort of understanding, if you will, of technical capabilities the user experience kind of hard and a soft skill. and I'd like to see a little less um, division, if you will, you know, early on uh, in, in schooling, to let people see how those things can be integrated.
2: Yeah, we, we are doing a lot of uh, investments in that in different schools. We spend a lot of time explaining uh, what we expect from universities, uh, what the student skill sets has to be in four or five years, um, and how that has to uh, evolve, because um, The specialism of a traditional car stylist is absolutely needed, Um, but the fact that the focus has has been moving uh, a bit more to what happens in the interior and the experience as a whole really needs a, a big shift into the universities. And that's not just the traditional car design universities, but the industrial design uni- universities, I think we like them to think more about um, uh, 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 cars because that became
1: more than ever um, um, an uh, a interesting part of the business. Kevin, we're getting down to the end here, but certainly here in the city of Detroit, we've seen a renaissance. Detroit still has plenty of problems, we know about that, but there are parts of it that are absolutely flourishing Part of what really kicked that off was this became a, this area became a magnet for artists, and it doesn't that play into what you're trying to achieve of a new generation? Yeah,
3: and, and you know, just to follow on from what, what these guys are saying, that you know, we focused on STEM education. What we're trying to do at the state level is look at STEAM, putting art back into that, is as part of it. And I think, uh, as you're, you're right, as here in Detroit, you're seeing uh, some of those activities just starting to really work and, and, and come to fruition. Mark, we're down to the very
1: end, need a quick question, but your reaction to Well, that? I,
0: I, one thing we know in the museum arena is people are, well, they're fascinated by a good story. That, that is what we do there. But process, the process of, of designing, making, evolving, anything, these are things that do resonate more and more with younger people. Um, I mean. You guys know the process. You guys are involved in the industry. So somehow demystifying that, getting that across, that, that's a huge part of it. And I, I guess most every industrial designer I've had the pleasure to meet, there's always this sense of optimism and sense of outreach, certainly professionally within, um, within the organization. But beyond that, into schools, we need to find ways of getting these worlds fully intersected. Because it's fun, but it's critical. It's, uh, it, it's, it's the future, frankly.
1: You know, I really like uh, what Kevin just said. It's not just STEM. Science, technology, engineering, math, it's the A in there. Make it not STEM, but STEAM. Add the arts back in, because it gets back to, you've gotta make people really want something, not just make it. With that, we're going to have to wrap it up, but I wanna thank all three of you. I'm Co-Leonards from the Ford Motor Company. Kevin Kerrigan from the state of Michigan and Mark Ruther from the Henry Ford Museum. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas as design as a change agent. Thank you, John.